the idea of the retreat in California, which I was taping these originally, was the theme of passing it on. And the idea of passing it on is clearly presented again and again in the scriptures. Now, the thing I tried to do in the first uh, messages was let you know, first of all, we're dealing with our life before we go. So we do have something besides the gospel that we pass on. And you see this idea of passing it on again and again in the Old Testament. Deuteronomy 4.9 says, Only take heed to the things which you've heard, lest in any. Uh, take heed to the things which you've heard. And because you, you want to pass this on. And that's the idea. <clears throat> and then in Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7, these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart. You shall teach them to your children. And so the idea is many times you see in the Old Testament it's passing it on to your children. But in Joel 1, 3, it says, tell you your children of it and let your children tell their children and their children another generation. You see four generations mentioned there. In Psalms 78, 5 and 6, you see the same thing. For he established his testimony in Jacob, appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded their fathers that they should make them known to their children, who should arise and declare them to their children, who would declare them to the generation yet unborn. And so God, there's certain, these, this, the great truths we have from God were to pass on down through the generations. Now, when Jesus first called his disciples, the first thing he said to them was, follow me. He didn't give them an assignment to go out to Great Commission and anything to start with. And it's only as they followed him were they transformed and became the kind of man that could be good carriers of this message. And so he says, follow me and I will make you Fishers of men. He mentioned that in Matthew 4, 19. I like the way it says it in Mark 1, 17. I will make you to become. You're not now fishers of men. In other words, I'll make you to, be, to become fishers of men. And that happens as we follow Jesus. So we're going to be talking about trying to reach people. Because that's what's important on this earth is people. And so we're going to try to reach them. And as we follow Jesus, then he said he, he might gave us a promise that he would make us fishers of men. And it was not until after his resurrection, and he had spent about three years with his disciples, that he gave the Great Commission. Now, at times he'd send them out to preach, but first of all, they needed their lives transformed before they would be good carriers of the message. <clears throat> and that's why after Jesus appeared from the dead he didn't go to show himself to everybody he went to the disciples because they were the ones that could do something about what he had taught them now the apostle paul you, you see we, we've looked at some from the old testament what jesus said and then what paul said first corinthians 15 3 and 4 he said for i delivered unto you that which i also received okay now notice, Paul received it. <clears throat> he received it from the Lord. He said, but what I received, he said, I delivered unto you. 
that which also received that, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So Paul said, I'm simply delivering to you that which I received. And see, that's what we want to do in life. As we receive things, we want to pass them on to others. And you know, in 2 Timothy 2, 2, Paul says, the things you heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. If you look at the entrances of this building out here, that verse is in granite because we want people to see. That's what we're about. The things we hear, we want to pass on to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And he mentions four generations there. And then in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, he said, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to impart unto you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. So those both, we're going we're gonna to share the gospel, but we're all go, also going to share our lives with people. Now, God loves everyone and wants everyone to respond to his love. I mentioned that in one of the earlier messages, but in 1 Timothy 2.4, he says, it's not his will that any man perish. God wants everyone to be saved. 2 Peter 3.9, God is not slack concerning his promises, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any man perish, but that all come to repentance. Some people say, well, Jesus said he's going to return sometime, but he hasn't yet. Well, why? Because he's long-suffering. He's giving us time so more people can come to know the Lord. And then in Ezekiel 33:11, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord. And here God is just declaring, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. He says, turn back, turn back from your evil ways. Why will you then die, O house of Israel? So listen, stay away from Calvinism, okay? Because they don't believe that anybody can be saved, and they'll even say, and I saw where John Calvin, I actually have a quote where he said, and God, not, we're, men are not all created alike. Some are destined for hell, for heaven, and some will go to hell for God's own glory. That is contrary to the scripture. God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Turn you, turn you from your evil way. Why will you die? See, so God does not want anyone to die. And we can go to a person, and I don't have to worry about, well, is he elect or this and that. Let me tell you, what God decided before the foundation of the world was a how of salvation. He was going to send Jesus. But the who of salvation depends on who accepts the Lord. So when I can witness to anyone, I don't have to, I can say to him, you need to repent. And I know that by enabling grace of God, he can do that. God wouldn't have told him to do it if with his enabling, he could not do it. So how do we share the gospel? Well, we start with who we are. Now, let me say this to, for, to you first of all. When you think of evangelism, do you most of you feel 
inadequate? <clears throat> well, that's probably good because you are, okay? And the Bible says that, 2 Corinthians 3, 5. Not that we're sufficient of ourselves to think anything out of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. It's God who makes us sufficient. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. Not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty are chosen. And then in verse 29, tells us why. That no flesh should glory in his presence. In 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And if you go on down there, you'll see in that passage that we're now ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, be we beg you be reconciled to God so we can go to people and we plead with them to come to Christ because God is now pleading with them through us. So we're not sufficient of ourselves. <clears throat> in John 15, 4, Jesus said, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself, no more can you unless you abide in me. So it's only as we're trusting. See, we don't have it, but if we trust God, God, God will work through us. And so <clears throat> then later, Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit, whereby we trust the Holy Spirit to live in us to make us adequate. So I just want you to know, you know, you don't feel adequate? Fine, you aren't adequate. The only thing that makes you adequate is God. So we start with where we are, with who we are, and then we start. Start with what we have. Now, what do we have? Well, we have this, 2 Corinthians 4, 7 says, we have this treasure, this gospel. We have this treasure in other vessels that the excellency of the power will be of God and not of us. And then, you know, in Acts 4, 20, they said, we cannot but speak the things which we've seen and heard. And so we start with what we have. We have the Lord in our life. And then we start where we are. Well, where do you start? Well, where are you? That's where you start. In Acts 1 he said, but you shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You'll be witnesses unto me, both in, you'll be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem. Well, see, that's where they were. And the Holy Spirit said, you start where you are. They started in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the othermost part of the earth. So you think, well, in evangelism and trying to pass on the gospel and pass on my own life, where I start? You start right where you are. Where do you live? Who, who are people that you know? That's where you start. And in Acts 8 and 9, it's interesting. Paul's on his way to Damascus when he's saved. Do you know where Paul starts his ministry? He starts preaching in Damascus. So when you think of evangelism, where do you start? We start where we are. And, and it says there in Damascus, he began to preach the gospel. So much so that the Jews were trying to kill him and they had to lower him in a basket down over the wall at night. So he started where he was. And that's where we start. We start where we are. And then <clears throat> we speak with boldness. You know, Romans 1.16, Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I hope you're not ashamed of the gospel that is what changes people's lives. And the only thing that can, God can use to change people's lives is the gospel. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. Wherever you are, you want to let people know 
that you believe in the gospel. Acts 4.29, they were even threatened. And it says, and, and they prayed, Lord, behold their threatenings and grant it unto thy servant with all boldness we may speak your word. Boldness is not brashness. It's not loudness necessarily. It's just unhindered speech. Just boldly, we need to be sharing with people about Jesus because that's the thing they most need. Every person you'll ever meet will, in your whole life, they, if they don't have Jesus, they need him, and we need to be sharing with them. And uh, <clears throat> so they prayed for boldness, and then it said, and then they spoke with boldness. And then the early disciples, they brought them together and said, did not we straightly command you, you should not speak anymore in his name? And they said, we ought to obey God rather than man. So here they are on trial for preaching, speaking. What do they do? They witness to the people. I mean, right there on trial, they witness. Well, we ought to obey God rather than man in this Jesus, and they begin to preach to them. So wherever we are, we want to be the kind of people who can share the message. Now, another thing we need to realize, you're going to expect some hardship. And they're not everybody that loves this message. You remember when the disciples, they brought them in and commanded them not to speak about Jesus. They turn them loose. They go speaking. They bring them in. And this time we think, we're going to teach you. And so they beat them. And said after they flogged them, they, they really beat them. They let them go. And it said, and they departed. This is Acts 5, 41 and 42. They departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily... In the temple and in every house, they seem not to teach and preach Jesus. So they beat him for speaking, and they just went, Oh, God, thank you. Thank you, you let us go through this. See, it was a joy to them. They were thankful that God chose them, considered them worthy to suffer. And in, Luke, in John 16, 33, Jesus said, You will have tribulation. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6, 10, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Yeah, there's sorrow in the world in which we live, seeing people go without God, and yet there's a deep, deep joy. And so we're always trying, wherever we are, to share the message. Now, and then number F, we share our lives with those who are Christians as we seek, and we seek to disciple them. In 1 John 1, 3, it says, that which we have seen and heard we declare unto you. Now, we saw the same thing in Acts 4.20. We cannot but speak the things that we've seen and heard. And in John writing in 1 John 1.3, that which we've seen and heard declare we unto you that you may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So <clears throat> we need to, when people become Christians, we bring them into fellowship with us. Because we have fellowship with them and with the Father. And in 1 Thessalonians 2.8, Paul said, So being affectionately desirous of you. In other words, that's the only time that word's found in the New Testament, affectionately desire. It's a, it's a word for just intense love. We were so affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives.
And so he was willing to share his life. In one place he said, you know, I, even though I'm willing to share my life and even though I'm not appreciated, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. He, he loved these people. And, you know, 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, the things you heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit to others and faithful men who will teach others also. You know, Paul's going along and in Acts, he had been stoned on his, uh, in, in Lystra. He went on to Derby, made disciples. Later they came back through and then on his next journey, next missionary journey, when he was in Lystra, he spotted a young guy by the name of Timothy. In Acts 16.3, he said he wanted this man to go with him. Now, why do you think he wanted Timothy to go with him? See, I think he wanted his companionship, but most of all, he wanted to train this young man. So he picked up Timothy and trained him. And we know how how important Timothy is in the New Testament. Paul wrote two letters to him later. But he found him as a young man and took him along. He was always, Paul was always looking for men that he could build into their lives and disciple them so they could train others. And that's what he did with Timothy. We know in Acts chapter 20 and verse 4, and there accompanied Paul into Asia. Now Paul's going into Asia said there accompanied Paul in Asia, Sopater of Berea. Okay, he'd been to Berea, and he had picked up old Sopi, see? He picked up Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus. So he'd been to Thessalonica, and he had picked up Aristarchus and Secundus. And then he'd been to Dirk, and Gaius and, and, and Tychicus, and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. So everywhere he went, he's picking up a guy or two training them. You know, somebody told me the story of boxing in India. Great evangelist that God mightily used. And then somebody said one time he'd keep a team of 12 guys. They'd go to a village or a city in India and they'd preach the gospel. They'd stay there maybe a few weeks. They'd lead some people to the Lord. They'd take two off of his team and leave them there. They'd pick up two of the new converts take them with them, and he always had a team of 12. They'd go to the next city, they'd preach the gospel, win people to the Lord, and then he'd leave two of his men there to lead that group of believers, pick up two. He always had a team of 12. And God used him in a phenomenal way. And Paul was always doing it. You know, in Acts 14, 19 through 22, it said, then Jews came from, Paul on his first journey had gone to Antioch and Iconium. said, and Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, stirring up the crowd. And when he got to Lystra, he said, they stoned Paul, drug him out of the city, supposing he was dead. They thought they'd killed him. As the disciples stood, stood around, he arose, went back into the city, and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derby. And it said when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned again to Lystra, to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the, 
strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to cling to the Lord. So Paul would go back through these cities where they'd even tried to kill him. At the risk of his life, he did that to build up these other Christians. And you know, we ought to do all we can to see people that come to know Christ grow. Paul was even willing to risk his life to do that. And he often did. We know from when Paul was one of the first letters he wrote, either the first uh, letter or at least the second that he wrote was 1 Thessalonians. And while uh, in, in chapter 1, verse 5 through 10, beautiful story how Paul is simply giving a testimony as to what he did. Now, we know from Acts 17, Paul was there a very brief period of time. <clears throat> the Bible says that he reasoned in a synagogue for three Sabbaths. We don't know how much longer he was there, but probably uh, at, at the most just a very few months. And then he left Thessalonica. And later, uh, he, he writes them, and he tells them what happened because later he goes on down and he gets to the point he just cannot stand wondering what happened to the Christian. In 1 Thessalonians 3, 1, he said when he couldn't, he couldn't stand it any longer, he sent Timothy to find out about their faith. In verse 5, he said, I'm afraid some way the tempter might attempt in you and our labor would be in vain. Now, why would his labor be in vain? These people had become Christians. They're going to heaven when they die. Why would it be in vain? Because if they didn't grow where they could share the message with others, Paul, the gospel would stop with them. And you know, that's exactly what happens in America with most Christians. People become Christians and the gospel stops with them. They don't continually pass it on. You know, a mule is a crossbreed between a horse and a donkey. Mules cannot reproduce. And we got a whole lot of Christian mules in America who do not reproduce. So we, we're to pass on what we've learned. And Paul, does, and so he goes back, sends Timothy back to see how they're doing. And he chose to be left in Athens alone. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a foreign city, a foreign country, in a city by yourself alone. I have been. I don't recommend it, but I'm in Hong Kong one night by myself. Comes time to eat dinner, and I'm going to be flying out the next day. It's before cell phones and all that. You know, nobody in the world knows where I am except my wife knows that according to my schedule, I'm in Hong Kong. And so nobody knows where I am, and nobody can watch over me or hold me accountable except... I know the ever-seeing eye of God. And so uh, I'm in this place by myself. When it comes time for dinner, I just go out and find a little side uh, grocery store and get me some cheese and crackers and go back up to my room. Now, if Matt had been with me, we'd had fun. We'd have gone out and found a nice restaurant. We'd had something to eat. You know, it's not fun to be by yourself. And Paul said, I chose to be left in Athens alone so I could send Timothy back to see how these Christians were doing. And he, when Timothy comes back, brings the good news of how well they're doing, he writes 1 Thessalonians. And then that, and starting with verse 
5. He says, You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Well, first of all, he says, You know, our gospel didn't come to you in word only, but in power and love. Our gospel didn't come to you in word only, but also in power and love. And so the gospel came in power to them. First thing Paul considered was the gospel. And if we're going to be used of God, we've got to be sharing the gospel. And Paul, as he talks about what happened, he's simply telling what he did when he got to Thessalonica, he began to share the gospel. Share it in power and in love. And so we share the gospel. And then the next thing he said, you know, in verse 5, what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. Here he calls attention to the quality of his life. He's talking about the example he set. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you. And so we, wherever we go, whatever we do, we share the gospel and then we live a quality life. You know, I've had people even say to me, well, Max, when I've witnessed him, well, I don't want to say I've become a Christian and live like I've always lived. And what they're saying is, I don't know how to live the Christian life. I say, okay, that's okay. I'll show you. Look at me. Okay? I'm going to show you. And Paul goes on to say then, <clears throat> he goes on to say, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. So Paul set the example, and then he encouraged them to become followers of him. He said, you became followers of, of us and of the Lord. And again and again and again, you find Timothy saying that. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Paul says, uh, you became followers of us and of the Lord. Now, why would Paul say to people, you follow me like I follow Christ? Why didn't he just say, follow Christ? Well, some places he may, but people don't see Jesus walking around. They don't know how to follow Jesus. They'll begin to follow you before they ever begin to follow Jesus. Okay? They can see how you live. And if you are following Jesus and they're following you, who are they ultimately going to be following? Jesus. And Paul would get other people following him. And he was rarely any place over two or three years. And he'd get people following him, and he was following Jesus. And then the day Paul leaves the scene, they can go right on following Jesus. And that's what God wants with us. And you see where he says this in 1 Corinthians 4.15. He says, for though you have, the King James says, though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, New American Standard says, though you have countless tutors trying to tell you how to live the Christian life. That's the idea. Though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you don't have many fathers. You have one father, he said. That's me. I am your one father in the Lord. And he says, for this cause have I sent unto you Timothy. Now, Paul couldn't be with him at the time. He said, because... You could have many tutors, but you really have one father, and that's me. And I can't be with you at this time. I'm going to send Timothy. And when he's come, when he comes, he's going to remind you 
of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Paul went to different countries, different churches, different places, but there were certain things they tell everywhere he went. And that's what we ought to do with young Christians. Every person I'll ever work with, I'm going to try to get them to see, like 1 Corinthians 1, 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. I'm going to try to get that guy having fellowship with the Lord. I'm going to try to get him praying. I'm going to try to get him to meet with other Christians, to grow, read his Bible, witness, help somebody else to grow. Those are the things. And Paul said, everywhere I go, because I can't be with you, Timothy is going to remind you of my ways as I teach everywhere in every church. Even different countries, you may have to learn a different language, but there are certain basic things that you teach. And in Philippians 3.17, he said, Paul says, I want you to mark those people that walk according to the pattern you have in us. Now, there are other Christians out there that are also living like I'm living. I want you to notice them, and I want you to begin to follow them. And see, one of the things we have the privilege of on on a campus ministry, we're working with someone. And like, for example, I might be trying to get someone to uh, memorize verses. And I might say to him, well, why don't you go ask Wyatt why he memorizes verses? And then see, he's reinforcing what we're trying to teach. That's one of the reasons we take people to church. We like them to go to conferences. We like to hear them, other people. I don't want to be the only influence in a person's life because I don't know everything. I don't have all the gifts. Some people are better at other things than I am. I want them contributing. But usually, unless there's one person that makes a significant difference, a lot of other people won't have the opportunity to contribute in their life. But see, if I reach a person and begin to meet with him and get him growing, and then I bring him to the BCM meetings, and I get him to go to church, and I get him to hear other speakers, then other people are having a ministry in his life. And that's why Paul said, I want you to mark these other people. You observe these other people that are living like I live, because we need more than one influence in a person's life. As someone said, if you're the only person that helps another person, he'll probably even sin like you sin. <laughs> so you want other people having an influence in their life. <clears throat> so you see in Second Thessalonians 3.17, the same idea of passing it on. Here he's talking about uh, giving, and he said, you know, we made ourselves example to you. We didn't just work and live off of you. Why did we do that? To make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. And I love Philippians 4, 9. Paul says, those things which you both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. And the God of peace shall be with you. We ought to be able to go to another person and say, I want to promise you something. If you will do what I do, God is going to be with you and going to bless you. Now, one of the things I do Every day I read my Bible. If you will read your Bible, I want to promise you, God's going to bless your life. You know another thing I do? I pray. 
ask God to do things. And do you know God will do things if I ask him to do that he won't do if I don't ask him? And so I'm going to help this person to pray. And if you will pray, you're going to see God answer and do things. And so we're, we're teaching people those things you've learned, received, heard, seen in me. Do. Do these things. And God will be with you. And you know, James 1.22 says, don't be just hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. See, it's not just hearing that changes you. It says you be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. You know, there are people that deceive themselves every week. They will come to Paradigm or they'll come to me and they just sit there and listen. They don't take any notes. They go out. They don't do anything as a result of what they've heard. They think, well, it was good. I went to church. But nothing happens as a result. Do you know the truth is, I don't know where you go to church, but let me tell you something. I bet you this is true where you go to church. There are people in that church, they're no different than they were 100 sermons ago because they don't do anything about what they hear, so they don't change. So they've heard 100 sermons, and it, they're no different than they were before they heard them because they don't obey and do something about it. <laughs> so the results, when we will share the message, you see this in First Thessalonians 1, when we share the message, set the example, get other people doing what we're doing, and you know the result of that? You see it here in verse 7 through 10 of chapter 1. You became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place, in every place, your faith towards God has been spread abroad. So Paul said, after he had set the example, now notice, in verse 5, it says the gospel came in power to them. 1 Thessalonians 1.5. But in verse 8, the gospel goes out in power from them. Paul came in, preached the message, lived the life, got them doing what he's doing, and now they preach the message to others. And then in verse 5, Paul and Silas and Timothy said, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you? Here he's talking about the example of their life. They set the example. And now he says, you're an example. You became an example. You see how it passed on? You want to see a beautiful example of that? And the very first letter Paul wrote, no wonder he's used by like he was a, of God because that's what he did. He shared the message, he set the example, and he got other people doing what he was doing, and the gospel continued to spread. And that, the gospel spreads through spiritual multiplication. I want to give you one tremendous resource, and that is the discipleshiplibrary.com. You can go to that resource. There are thousands of messages. You think, well, I... If I, I were to say to you, here's a young Christian, I want you to help him in his quiet time. What verses would you use? 
What example would you use? What would you tell him? You say, well, I don't know. Okay, go to that website, look under quiet time or devotional life, and hear a message on it. You can hear it on your phone. You can download it on your computer, and you can hear that. And hear some messages on it and learn about it. You want to help a guy with dating, there are messages on it. I remember years ago when that, before we put it up on the Internet, we counted one time just messages on marriage. There were 125. So you want to learn about dating? Go listen to some messages on dating. Get your tool chest equipped so that if you need a certain tool, you can use it. And, you know, college students, that's one of the things. Don't waste your time. You know, you're the hangout generation. It would never dawn on you some Friday night, instead of going out and hanging out with your friends, won't you go to your room, listen to the discipleship tape library, or read your Bible, try to get equipped? Use some time. Now, I'm not against you hanging out with your friends, but a lot of time, right now, you need to begin to build because sometimes the storms in life are going to come and it's too late to build. You need to be getting equipped now so you can make disciples. So be reading your Bible, praying, memorizing verses. Some of the verses I've shared with you in this message, I memorized when I was in college. So work now on getting equipped, doing now what you'll wish you'd have done 10 years from now. And you're going to be sharing things 10 years from now that you learned this year, okay? And so now be getting equipped. Now let me pray for you. Father, thank you for our time together. I pray you'll mightily use us to help people come to know Jesus, to be built up in the faith so they can share the gospel and share their own lives with other people, let more and more people. Father, you, don't, you have said you don't want any man to perish, and we'd like to help get the gospel to every man, woman, boy, and girl in the world that they might have the privilege of deciding if they want to accept Jesus. So God, I pray you'd help us, and we plead with people to turn to you so God mightily use our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Another great book, if you had, <clears throat> there are other books and things, but if you've not read Robert Coleman, The Master Plan of Evangelism, it's a great book. And then another terrific book is Personal Disciple Making by Christopher Adsit. If I had to remember, recommend only two books on disciple making, it'd be those two books. Okay, God bless you. Thank you.